0: Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy Podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the ride.
1: I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we're going to talk about gates that your horse needs to ride. You need to do the walk, trot, and canter and especially how to be in control, be the leader at each of those gates, each of those speeds that you're going to ride, and some tips that you share with riders on how to make sure that they are riding that gate well. So tell me a little bit about being out on the trail. What gate do you usually ride the most, and or should your horse be able to know to do everything out on the trail?
0: I think always that, you You should be riding a horse that that can move in all three gates, and you, as a rider should be capable in all three gates when you go out on the trail, whether you intend to do them or not it's going to depend on the trail and the, the um you know what you're hoping to accomplish and the other people you're riding with. but the truth is any horse is capable of bolting when you're out on the trail. Spooking and bolting. In, and so a person might argue that if you go out on the trail into an uncontrolled environment, you should have the ability to ride at all three gates. And um, so that if stuff goes wrong, you can deal with it. But obviously, the walk is going to be the primary gate. And when it comes to distance, covering distance, the trot, the long trot is the primary gate. Um, cantering is um, uh, will cover some ground and be fast but it's not the most efficient of gates for the horse he could trot a lot, lot farther than he could canter so um, you know in most situations I would say in trail riding the walk is going to be the primary gate that you ride
1: and at the same time I like what you're saying there that you don't want to think oh it's just a trail ride we're just walking so I don't have to have these skills, because there is a chance a horse can turn and bolt, and you better know how to ride the canter and take control of that and not just be in charge and to know what to do, so. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about the walk specifically first, and what are some things that you need to do to make sure that you are the leader and in charge at the walk?
0: Well, there's two areas of concern there, just like there's two types of horses in this world, Um, one with too much go and one with too much woe. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: riding at the walk, my two areas of concern have to do with the lazy horse who um, looks like he's walking to his own funeral, (laughs) Um, or the horse, the, the speedy Gonzalez horse that just Busts up into a trot anytime he wants to, or or starts getting prancy and jigging and eager to move forward. Um, in e- in either case, it it needs to be treated as a disobedient act for on the part of the horse. Um, so now this uh, this problem of your horse walking too slowly is um, a really common one I get asked about that all the time. How do I make my horse walk faster so that he keeps up with the other horses I'm riding with? Right. Well you you chose who you were riding with, not the horse. And so I think it's important to understand that you can't you can't make your horse into something he's not. If you're riding a really steady, eddy quarter horse with too much woe um you, he's never going to be able to keep up with the Tennessee walkers that are you know that are walking faster than he trots, um so you can't make him into something he's not however, horses are really clever when they don't want to do something or when they're pointing in a direction they don't want to go um, they and on top of that, they're lazy um they can walk slower and slower and slower. <laughs> until they're almost halting between every step. And then the biggest area of concern for me is they start teaching the rider to pedal. And so they basically what's going on is they threaten to stop, the rider cues them to go. They threaten to stop, the rider cues them to go. And so now you're in a situation where you're constantly telling the horse to keep going, and that's a real unhealthy relationship with your horse because he's threatening disobedience and you're sort of going along with it. You're condoning it by simply by telling him to keep going, and also now he's made you do the work he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So you're pushing, I was say it's pushing, a workout. pushing. Yep. Yeah. So paddling uh, when paddling is occurring, the horse is training you, not the other way around. Um, so an obedient horse goes in the in, at the speed you told him to go. Um, if I want to increase the speed of the trot. I'm going to increase the rhythm in my seat and legs, reach forward with my hands, and drive the horse more forward. Um, it's up to me as the leader to determine what's the most reasonable pace I can expect out of this horse. Mm-hmm. And when I get him to that pace, I should be able to no longer push and drive him. If he slows down, I need to give him a little spanking uh, with the reins or crop or or uh, even just my hand. and and address his slowing down as a disobedient act, um, and so give him admonishment rather mm-hmm. than just requeuing him to go forward. And and the opposite's basically true of that horse is too fast. If he breaks into a trot, what a lot of riders do is just start riding the trot. And as soon as you start riding the trot, you've told the horse that his actions that were okay. okay. So you must take immediate and swift and abrupt action to bring the horse back to the speed you told him in a way in a way that admonishes him and not just cues him um, and expect him. It's his job to maintain the speed. It's your job to tell him what speed to go. It's his job to maintain it. If he doesn't, give, uh, admonish him in some way.
1: That makes sense, Julie. And so as a second section for this, I also want to talk about some tips for riding the walk. And would you say that it's common sometimes with trail riding, and we've talked about before that phrase that we hear a lot and shouldn't even exist is just trail riding. Do you see people, oh, I'm just riding at a walk, so they change their position, or there's some position tips and just how to actually ride that gait that maybe people aren't actively riding?
0: Well, um, sure. You know, you want to be generally at the walk. You should be sitting very vertical. Um, if you're leaning forward, you're you're weighting the forehand of the horse even more, uh, so he's not going to get the power and traction that he could be getting from behind. Um, if you're going up and down inclines, you your torso should remain vertical. Um, just like a tree going, growing on the side of a hill is growing straight up towards the sun. Um, so your position to the horse's back changes um, as he angles his body up or down, um, but your torso should always be striving for that vertical um, vertical um, alignment um, so that you're in balance with the horse and it's easy for him to uh, pack you around.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I like that description or just getting people thinking about that because I think a lot of people think, oh, it's walking, so it's easier on the horse, and then that's when they tend to slouch, and then they think they're really riding if they trot, and that's not really true. You need it to be easy for your horse yeah. and being and really, be that leader.
0: Uh, check in with yourself and make sure your weight is equally distributed from not only from front to back, which is that vertical alignment we're talking about, but also from side to side. So are you? Uh, is your posture or maybe uh, injury, old injuries or anything like that such that you tend to weight uh, your left seat bone or your right seat bone or your left strip or your right strip? That's really hard on a horse to sustain um, for miles on end. Um, So try to make sure that uh, as you are walking, not only are you sitting, you're aligned uh, vertically from front to back, but you're also aligned laterally from side to side.
1: And especially if you've gotten on the horse from the ground, right? A lot of people don't always check and step into that right stirrup to get the saddle back in the middle, and so you just kind of can start off in the wrong way. Yeah. Good. All right, so let's move on to trotting. So what are some things you need to know to be the leader at the trot? Well, um, of course, speed
0: control, whether it's too fast or too slow, is something you should be aware of all the time that you're riding and never allow the horse to make decisions on his own. So if he, um, in other words, if, if you mount and he just walks off without a cue, that's a problem. If you're trail riding and the horse in front of you trots, or uh, there is a, a, a growing uh, distance between you and the horse in front, and your horse decides he should catch up and he just breaks into a trot whenever he wants, um, any changes of speed unauthorized by you should always be acknowledged and corrected, um, and probably admonished. Um, basically, there's three ways ways to ride the trot. You can ride the trot sitting. You can ride the trot posting, or you can ride the trot standing with weight in the stirrups. Um, As far as trail riding goes, in most instances, when you're trotting, you're probably going to either be posting the trot or standing the trot. So a slow-sitting jog trot um, is generally not all that useful on the trail. Um, Mm -hmm. Often, if we're trotting, we want to get somewhere. Um, But the sitting trot also is um, a good one to avoid on the trail because it's more pressure on your horse's back. So sure. the standing trot or the posting trot are going to be more comfortable for both you and your horse um, when you're trotting out. And, um, and also if your horse has a little bit rougher trot, you know, putting a little bit of weight in the stirrups, lifting weight off of your seat bones, keeping your joints soft and fluid and absorbing all that lift in the horse's back But without your seat bones actually pounding down on the horse's back, that's going to be more comfortable for both you and your horse.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, sometimes people who trail ride, maybe this is my own perception, but it's almost like, okay, well, I came from a show background or this is how you trot. So they think more about sitting the trot. And especially if you're in a western saddle, do you think as many people think about posting the trot in the Western saddle as maybe should be?
0: Well, there's a, a, a real misconception that posting is for English riders and not for Western riders. Posting is the best way to ride the long trot for both the rider and the horse. It has nothing to do with English or Western. I think where that confusion comes from is because in some um, forms of Western competition, we don't post um notably the western pleasure and the horsemanship classes however in some forms of english competition you don't post either so um posting is just simply the most effective way to ride the long trot and all riders should know how to post and when you're riding the long trot you should probably either be posting or standing
1: now, what if you're with someone who hasn't trotted a lot in the past? You take somebody along with you. Are there tips that you could give them to help if they're not comfortable posting yet or they haven't done that before? Is there anything that's a quick tip that would help people to sit the trot better? Well, sure. If you're, uh, You know, again, um,
0: unless you have a very smooth horse with a slow-sitting trot, or the slow jog trot, um, sitting the trot is not a great idea when you're covering a lot of grounds because um, it does put more pressure on the back. And if you're going out for a lengthy trail ride, um, it's not worth the risk right. that your horse can back soar. So I might, uh, particularly if you're riding Western, it's easy to just, um, you know, have them, have them put one hand on the horn have them um, um, lift weight off of the seat bones and put it into the stirrup. You still want them to stay close to the saddle, but just okay. transfer weight from your seat bones to the stirrups. Um, but make sure that they're trying to sit up straight as possible and staying relaxed and soft in their knees and joints um, so they're absorbing the motion of the trot rather than bouncing off, off mm-hmm. the stirrup.
1: That makes sense. And, you know, it's totally, as you said at the start of this, it depends on the trail you're riding on. It might be that it's just an open field and mostly you want to walk and you want to just trot a few strides to say you did it. So that might be an okay place to to sit the trot versus sure. covering a big 10-mile place or more of an endurance all-day ride when that totally is a different aspect of, of trail riding and what you want for your horse. So what about a tip if someone hasn't posted before, they're listening to this and say, okay, I need to be posting. She says to post. What is your quickest example or description of how to post?
2: It's a
0: motion. It's a forward and backward motion, not an up and down. You're not pushing up off the strip. You're rising from your knees and thighs. And it is a motion just like, if you're sitting in a chair and you stand up to get up out of the chair and then you sit immediately back down and you stand up to get up and sit immediately back down, um, and if you just think about that and then let the horse initiate the lift, so let the horse tell you when to stand back, stand up, and then immediately mm-hmm. sit back down. Um, posting can be learned very fast in if uh, if you just feel the rhythm, and let that horse push you up, stand up like you're standing up out of the chair, and sit immediately all the way back down in the chair.
1: Okay. Very good. All right. Now, cantering. Should people be cantering on the trail and when? If they are to canter, when would that be something to do?
0: Well, of course, that is totally dependent on the terrain that you're riding. Up here where I live, near the Continental Divide, most of the trail riding would not be suitable at all to cantering, uh, maybe not suitable to trotting. But if you're riding in uh, places that, it, that are not so steep and the ground mm-hmm. is soft and forgiving, um, then certainly there's nothing wrong with cantering. I would avoid cantering downhill, and I would avoid cantering back towards the barn because, um Again, when you're pointed back towards the barn and you're cantering, you've already somewhat triggered the flight response. So right. uh, one time I was um, actually galloping a mule back towards the barn. He was an endurance uh, racing mule, um, and a kid shot off a BB gun right behind us. Well, that that mm-hmm. gallop immediately turned into a dead run straight towards the barn, that's a lot, uh, and, and it was slightly downhill, so that's a lot harder to control than a uh, horse that bolts away from the barn or, or um, sure. whatever. So um, so we don't want to set up that precedence because the cantering is is a little bit close to the flight response, and um, so it's best to avoid cantering back in close proximity to the barn towards the barn or trailer or trailhead. Um, if I'm pretty far out, But in a direction headed back, I don't mind so much. The closer I get to the barn or the trailhead, the less likely I am to canter. Um, And one thing I'll say as far as a tip: if somebody's learning to canter, one of the easiest places to teach them will be on a slow, gentle, um, upward incline. Uh, The Mm -hmm. horse is is uh, the horse is less likely to do anything wrong because he's just having to work cantering uphill. And um, if I can put that person, if I can put a horse in front of them and a horse behind them and sandwich them in, and then we all start cantering, uh, the horse in the middle with the beginner on will generally pick up the canter because the other horses are cantering. I mean it, right. Um, yeah, and you've got good close supervision and, and control. So if you are out on a group trail ride and it's decided that the terrain is appropriate to cantering, um, it should all be. Uh, it should be a unanimous decision in the group that you wish to canter, and every effort should be made to keep the horses uh, together in a close knit group. Um, so, because when one horse gets left behind, that's going to be problems. And uh, mm-hmm. so, and then the communication between the riders of when we're going to start the canter and when we're going to stop the canter um, should always be very clear um, and abundant
1: that makes sense and and this is all about making sure you're choosing the right thing, you're taking in the information about the trail and where you're riding and the people that you're with and that you're the leader and deciding what the best thing is that your horse isn't making the choices on their own for each of these gates that seems to be the common denominator. Mhm. Absolutely. Well, very good. So, let's talk for a second about kids on the trail or learning to ride in general. And so what is something that you help um, any rider with, but especially kiddos, with switching from a walk to a trot, a trot? Is there a transition exercise or using some kind of cone or marker that can kind of help them to learn to move from one gate to the other?
0: Sure. First of all, I would like to break down the cue that you're going to use into three simple steps. You do this. Then you do this. Then you do that. Mm-hmm. So I might say to that child: First, you reach forward with your hands. Then you shift your weight forward, and then you use you go bump, bump with both your legs, and um, and that should cause the horse to trot. So um, breaking that cue down into a sequence first of all helps the horse understand more clearly and make sure that the rider's functioning correctly in the queue. In other words, releasing the rein before you ask the horse to go. Right. That sort of thing. Um, So all of training occurs in transitions. So step number one is getting the horse to trot by applying a systematic queue and reinforcing the queue when necessary. Um, And then secondly maintaining the trot until you get to a certain point because a lot of horses will step up to the trot but then they get lazy and go back to a walk so i want to make sure that um, the rider maintains control in the trot and then the horse only slows down to the walk when the rider says slow down so sure your cones could help a lot in all of those so if i put a cone A one end of my riding area and another end, and then I give um, have the rider approach the first cone. Say, okay, at Mm -hmm. that cone, you're going to give the key to trot. Uh, One, two, three. Hands, weight, legs, or maybe you'll use your voice. So maybe you say, hands reach forward, clock with your voice, bump bump with both legs. And now our next objective is keep the horse at the trot, and then at the at the when the get to the end cone. Okay, sit back, exhale, and let the horse walk. Um, so um, you you accomplish in one set of, of this exercise, you accomplish three things: in queuing, maintaining speed, and then the downward transition.
1: Good. Well, I think that's helpful, and that's helpful for adult riders as well, just to have an area if they are concerned about walking to trotting or any kind of transition to just plan ahead and know where they're going to do that and build a little confidence by planning ahead. Yep. I'm Heidi Malako. I am here today with Desiree Johnson, the owner and designer of Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. And Desiree, you have a pretty interesting story being a rider of why you wanted to create the perfect jeans for people to ride in and why there was such a need for something that felt good in the saddle. Tell me a little bit about how you got started.
2: Well, hello, Heidi. Thank you for calling. Yes, I do. this all started uh, a few years before we bought the company. Um, I was uh, very lucky to have been able to have my own stable. Um, right. I had three stalls and I uh, had a few event horses in training and my own ring and I was teaching and because I'm an event rider, okay. doing a lot of uh, a lot of setting up jumps and grooming the ring and you know the PP and D, the poop pick up and drag, <laughs> and uh, all all the manual labor that goes along with the uh, four acres of mowing and uh, gardening and all of that, being a wife and the shopping. And, and I was in my tack room one day, and uh, the br- I was taking my breeches and boots off yet once again. Right. I thought to myself, uh, there's got to be a jean out there. I need some blue jeans that I can also ride in. Right. Because I do so much teaching. I jump up on a horse for ten minutes, then I jump down, and I have to set up jumps, and, the, the, you know, the breeches just catch Get thrashed. They're too nice to work in. I mean, re- to really, really work in. So I went to my local ranching home. Now, m- remember, I'm an English rider. So I went right. to a, a store specialty in Western, 20 different styles of Western blue jeans. And I asked the lady, I told her, I said, I want your top of the line Western riding jean. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want to smash anything. Sure, sure. She took me to the top of the line. And I looked at them, and I looked at the seat area, and I saw that lump, the, your best riding jeans. She said, yes. And I said, well, these aren't riding jeans. And she looked at me, and she kind of blinked, and I said, there's this big lump in the crotch seat area, and that's the whole reason why I'm here is because I can't ride in country and western dancing jeans. I need a riding jean. And she said, well, this is, this is it. And so I... You know, I went home and I told Eric, I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own. And this is going to be called Designs by Desiree. And I told him my story. And what I did is I went online. And at that time, I didn't find anything like what it was that I wanted, but I did find a pattern, a -a booker's pattern. So I ended up to make a a long story I made three pairs of these little sweatpants that were one seamless inside, right? Up the front and the back. And they were basically little sweatpants with little knee pads. And I wore those little jeans. I, wore, I made a corduroy printer and a lightweight jean material for summer. I wore them out. <laughs> Two years or so, wore them whole, holes. And what I loved about them is they were short, you know, right up to the ankle. I could stick them in my English boots. And then I would take my boots off. I could work in these little jeans pants all day long, and I could go grocery shopping, and I could get down in the dirt and garden and do the mowing and move my jumps. So finally, they they wore out, and it was around Thanksgiving time, and uh, I said to Eric, I said, there's got to be somebody who has thought of this idea. I can't be the only one. So I sat down with Mimosa uh, at the holiday time, and I found smooth stride riding jean company and the mission statement and the explanation was exactly what I was looking for. And they were interested in selling the company and Eric and I had a powwow and we let's do it. And this thing that we were we didn't know anything about the manufacturing clothing business. Nothing. I know. It was really the learning curve was incredible. The inventory that we bought that we thought we were gonna be able to buy was all messed up. It wasn't graded mm. properly and didn't fit anybody so we basically started from scratch I redesigned this incredible already existing jean that had the seamless inside and was a boot cut and I made it I recreated the whole uh, basically the waist contoured waistband the grading is correct the rise is correct for riders for mature riders, not teenagers with, you know, that weigh weigh 115 pounds, mm-hmm. designed for women who have either had kids or not, but it lives with their bodies and, you know, for, for mature women.
1: Have the curves that they are supposed to have once they have reached adulthood. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, tell me, what do you mean by the grade? Is that the way that the shape changes up around your waist? Well, for instance, when we got the inventory, I had these
2: tiny little rises and huge legs. So the legs didn't match. So the lower part didn't match the upper part. So if you have a size 10 gene, it is graded size 10 the whole length of the gene. And that's uh, it's a there's a science to it. And okay. so our genes are, you know, we hired, literally hired a specialist to grade the patterns correctly. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of math. You've learned
1: a <laughs> lot of terminology about this, and and so the big thing about these that makes them for riding. What would you say are your, your top features that make them for riders, not just for wearing on the street,
2: but you could do both. Yes, you could. The main thing is that cross lump in the seat area has been removed. Literally, they're they're just like uh, how they build English riding Greeches, Only uh, they're Western boot cuts. Second thing would be the rise in the back. It's hard to find a blue jean out there that calls itself a riding jean that has a a correct um, rise. The contoured waistband, so it's just not a straight piece, it's also curved to shape a fit women's curves And the stretch, it's a perfect amount of stretch. We have a special process that they don't bag out, so we've eliminated the bag out problem, so this jean that you buy will be the same size within eight hours or two days or three days. They don't, you just don't put them in the washing machine and they snap back and then bag out again. So if they don't fit, that probably means that you gained a little weight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm imagining what this means when you're actually on a day-long trail rider, like with you with endurance riding. I grew up riding Western. We always rode in jeans. And I remember on longer days, like the inside of your leg, it'd be a little chaff, but that's just, what you had and I think it's interesting to hear you say with that English or endurance perspective everything you're thinking of has to do with how can I wear this all day be comfortable and make it through the miles right sure literally there are
2: some of us that we get in the saddle after
1: 10 minutes I was not comfortable right so this
2: it's also, for doctors, for instance, who just get on, who are teaching all day long, they need a safe place for their phone for emergencies because we have a beautiful old, you know, classic welt pocket on the top of the right thigh mm-hmm. that is, uh doesn't have any closure to break or anything and it fits in snugly so it's not going kind to of flop around. So even for instructors who have to get on a horse and just demonstrate something for ten minutes and get back off again, so. right?
1: And feel comfortable in what you're getting down. Because I know when I have ridden English, and you're in your breeches, and sometimes you're like, Whoosh, should I not? I want. I don't mind riding these in the saddle, but I definitely don't want to go in public in them. So I think that's a, a great aspect too. Something you can be comfortable in, but you can get on and off and still do whatever you need to do.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I was joking in another interview I did that you could be a lawyer with a blazer in an office and then you could go straight to the barn and you wouldn't have to change your pants all day long.
1: And thinking about the rider, not somebody that's coming from the fashion world and how to make those look good at the barn, which they look good. All the jeans can look good, but mm-hmm. how can you find something that's going to keep you comfortable in the saddle, not have that big seam on the inside, right, where you're trying to have contact and right. communicate with your horse, with your leg position. Feel good no matter what you're doing. I spend so much money
2: on equipment for our horse. And so I really feel like this is a, a very valuable piece of equipment for for riders, finally.
1: Good. Well, thank you for taking this on and figuring out something that's going to be good for a lot of riders. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks
0: for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out smoothstride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also be sure to visit JulieGoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn.